Thank you for tuning in to the sermon webcast of Living Savior. We are one church serving in two locations, Asheville and Hendersonville, North Carolina. For more information, go to lsavior.org. I don't watch it religiously, but I have seen a few episodes of the show Undercover Boss. It's quite interesting, though, to see the ultimate reality where you have this CEO and he or she comes down to work on the ground floor. You may have seen it, and even if you haven't, you understand the ultimate premise. With a fake mustache, lots of makeup, and a changed hairdo so as to not give their identity away, he or she, the CEO or president, comes down to flip burgers, to do some construction, to paint some lines, to, do, to serve some coffee, to do whatever it is that people who are on the ground floor are doing. And of all the revelations that happen throughout the show, there's maybe a couple that are quite significant. First of all, the people get to learn a little bit more about the CEO in the end as they get to have this face-to-face conversation. And it's usually emotional. It is most certainly impactful. One of the other revelations, of course, is that the CEO gets to understand what life is like down on the ground floor. They say things almost inevitably and without exception like, I never knew, fill in the blank. I never imagined, fill in the blank. They get to finally understand that life behind their data spreadsheets on their multiple screens in that high rise in New York City with almost 360 degree views 50 stories high that, that they didn't really understand what it's like in the back of that dirty kitchen or with the other baristas or down there in the hot concrete as systems are failing and top-down rules might not exactly help the everyday worker. And I can't help but think about that as we approach a season like this, namely Lent where we are called and we even understand the necessity to analyze the stark reality before us that we cannot overcome sin, not one single day and not for one single moment. We cannot be blame-free. Where God calls us to fight against the tempter and all of it, the, the temptations of the world, the evil one, and even the sinful flesh that rages on inside of us, This is the stark reality. We're not even asking if people agree. The burden of proof is on the world to say that this doesn't exist. We don't even need to debate it. And God calls us to fight against it, and who of us is up to the task? And we can't help but wonder, as God calls us to do these things, does he really understand? Or is he like that CEO in the great halls of heaven with his 360-degree panoramic view Does he look down with his systems and his rules like a top-down approach and tell us from the top of this pyramid to just do these things, but he doesn't really get it? Fight against the evil one. Easy for you to say. You're God. Battle against temptation. Do you even know what that's like? Does he really understand? But what better place to start Then on a day like today, where all three lessons lead us to not only see the victor in all of his glory, because there is glory even though it is veiled, but it enables us to see that he most certainly does understand. That's quite clear, especially as we look again at Hebrews chapter 4, the second reading today. I'd invite you to have that open in front of you. The writer to the Hebrews is, well, he's writing to Jews, 
Jews who are encountering the culmination of the gospel in the context of being Jews, of course. This entire rich history that God had played out for over 1,500 years has now come to fruition in the person and work of Jesus Christ. That is especially pertinent when you think about all of the worship laws, the ceremonial rituals that God had woven into his ceremonial law, namely that there would be sacrifices and symbols, days and celebrations, festivals, etc. And all of these would be like arrows, Arrows that would point ahead to the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so the point of, the ultimate point of this letter to the Hebrews, and we don't know who wrote it, we'll find out in heaven, but the ultimate point is that he is taking all of these arrows in his context in history for all of these Jews, and he is pointing to not just some sacrifices as good or some high priest, which would be great. He is taking all of these arrows and pointing them to Jesus, all of them. All arrows, 360 degrees, pointing to Jesus as the ultimate. You could say that's the theme of the book, the letter to the Hebrews. Jesus is the ultimate. Whatever you're looking at, he is the ultimate. And particularly today, he's the great high priest. The greatest, the ultimate high priest. Now, when you understand the high priest, the high priest would be the one who would represent God's people. He would go into that most holy place and sprinkle blood on the atonement cover, the the thing that would make God's people right, the seat where God would sit. And he would go into the most holy place on Yom Kippur, the great day of atonement, and only he would go into that most holy place where the Ark of the Covenant was. And he would sprinkle blood to represent God's people with this sacrifice to help atone for the sins of all of the people. One day, one person, one representative, one. And that's maybe a hard thing for us to then say, okay, Jesus is that, question mark? Because you and I know who Jesus is. We know and confess, as the scriptures clearly say, that he is God. We will soon confess in this ancient Nicene Creed, God from God, light from light, true God from true God. That creed that emphasizes that Jesus is most certainly man, but he is most certainly God, makes that very clear, pounding it into our heads. And we even know, I mean, you, you look at Jesus and he's, he, he's healing people who are sick and he's giving sight to the blind. Those who are deaf and mute can now all of a sudden hear and speak and he even calms storms, feeds thousands from a boy's lunch. He can rebuke evil spirits and even raise the dead. And we look at that and we think, wouldn't that be nice? <laughs> like, not just even to, to, to follow Jesus, but to be Jesus. Like, what chance does the devil have? I will give you all the kingdoms. And it's easy at times for us to think like, yeah, okay, nice one, devil. Like, that's like promising Michael Jordan. I will give you a great jump shot. He already has it. Like, what are you, you going to give? Really? But do we understand, especially on a day like today, that Jesus is not just fully God, he is also miracle above all miracles. The truth that transcends our feeble and finite understanding, he is also not just 100% God, he is 100% man in one. You're not supposed to understand that. That can only be apprehended by faith. That's bigger than our brains. And that's okay, that's what makes him the savior. But as fully man... Do we understand that he really did undergo temptation? 
He was tempted in every way, just as we are. He was, he was tempted in every way, just as we are. A professor of mine once said, you could put me in a room where there is this beautiful, beautiful bottle of scotch or bourbon or whatever you're, you, you prefer, and I wouldn't be tempted. I might taste it. Sure, it's fine, but I wouldn't be tempted. Other, he said, other guys that I know, that would be a temptation for them to finish the bottle. But you put me in a room where there might be a slot machine and a blackjack table, for whatever reason, that has a pull for me. What is he saying? That he's an addicted gambler? No. What he's saying is that there is something for us that pulls us without fail. So pick a commandment. Maybe not even the first three. Go to the second table of the law, commandments four through six. How we view authority in the home, in the church, or in government. How we view life, life of others and that of our own. How we view God's gift of marriage and sex. How we view possessions, everything that God has given to us and that of others. How we view a reputation, the reputations of the people around us and how we should fight to preserve it, abstaining from gossip and slander. Commandments 9 and 10, holy desires that we would be so content with the gifts that God has given us that we would not want to covet that which God has not given to us. Pick one. It kind of covers everything in the entirety of our lives. And what is it for you? Because there is something. He was tempted in every way, just as we are. Does it compute yet? I mean, do you think, there are some women, in fact, I would argue there are probably several women in the world who are attracted to people, men, who are in power. Jesus starts performing some miracles. Thousands are following him. Should we suppose that there was never, ever, ever an attractive woman who made an improper pass at Jesus? Is it reasonable to think that that may have happened? Jesus feeds 5,000, and what do the people want to do? They want to put a crown on him and make him their bread king. After all, who doesn't want to follow the guy who can feed you out of nowhere? You don't have to, like, take all the, the grain and, like, break it down and make flour and then cook it and make bread. Boom! Fish and loaves, just like that, anytime you want. That is the have it your way before there ever was a have it your way. They want to make him a political leader, and who wouldn't? Do you think that the the temptation for power and manipulation never, ever, ever was put right there in front of him? Jesus is fully human. No, we cannot, we can't process that. But as fully human, do you think that there was never a temptation as one of the disciples came up to him and be like, can you believe, Peter? I mean, that guy just opens up his mouth and shoves his foot in every time. Right, Jesus? Right, right, right? And even though they might be right, what would that say about the reputation of Peter right in front of him? The only anger that he ever righteously carried out to turn over tables was because they were turning his father's house into a den of robbers and thieves? Do you think the temptation to give vent to anger when he's the only one in all of the world ever to be righteous was ever not put in front of him? Are these reasonable scenarios? He was tempted in every way just as we are. So who are we to think that he doesn't understand? And consider how unhelpful that thought process is. And we've all had it, I would assume. I think safely, assume. Here we are in our own little silo, 
on an island, looking at God, wrestling against temptation, sometimes not even wrestling, maybe even thinking to ourselves, well, who understands? I'm so unique. These struggles are just me. And I guess whatever. And we pass them off. Or we think that because God, Jesus is most certainly God, that there's never a way that he would understand how vital it is to fight against that temptation to begin with. And so where do we find ourselves in, except in this victim mentality, ostracizing ourselves from the Savior who is yelling with a megaphone today, I understand. I understand. And of all the reasons why he tells us today through his word, that he understands. One reason is this. So that there would never, ever, ever be a way for anyone to ever say to Jesus, yeah, but did you really overcome? Because in order for you to overcome, it would mean that you were there on the ground floor. Like you were actually down there in that type of burger flipping, coffee serving, line painting, construction type of atmosphere that we find ourselves in here because you're kind of, you're, you're God, but are you re do you really understand what it's like? tempted in every way just as we are. And right there we have the Savior who steps not just right next to us, but he also steps right in front of us to be the representative that we need. And here is our great high priest. He does not just step next to us, he steps in front of us to represent us in this battlefield known as the world against the great triumvirate of evil, the world, the devil, and our sinful flesh. And what does our representative do? He was tempted in every way just as we are, yet was without sin. Without sin. Not as the example to take his sinlessness and shove it in your face and say, why can't you just be a little bit better? Why can't you just buck up, do better in life? No. But to save us, our representative has, has such love that he would foist himself into the battlefield for 40 days and for the entirety of his life. And all for what? So that he would tell you that he understands, and he does. So you would know that there is nothing in this world that Jesus was exempt from. But he was without sin so that his conquering would cover over our failure. So that his victory would erase our loss so that his sinlessness would remove our guilt and shame. Those shows, the undercover boss shows, are quite significant. And inevitably, towards the end, the workers are blown away as the CEO represents the company and gives gifts that these people never thought they ever would have or deserve. You're struggling to also get through college at the same time tuition paid for. You're drowning in debt as you're living in an apartment and also working, this, working at this other location for our company. Promotion and a bonus. Boom. People are sitting there and they're thinking to themselves, I have never seen five figures before. Holy cow. Five figures right there. Boom. And they're blown away. What do you have in your Savior? Except like an onion, he is pulling back the layers so you would see you have a Savior who gives you more than you ever could have imagined. Go back to the temple a second. We have a great high priest who walks into that most holy place. 
And does he really understand the, everything that people are struggling with, this, this savior of ours? He is able to empathize with us in our weakness. I've heard it described this way, that sympathy is if you're standing at the top of a ditch and you look down and your heart breaks for the person who's stuck in the ditch. But empathy is totally different. It is getting down in the ditch and being there with that person in their pain. We do not have one who is unable to empathize with us in our weaknesses. Instead, we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet was without sin. And what does that give us as we approach God's throne of grace? It gives us every desire and gift and blessing and strength to fight against temptation all the more. Isn't that how our our reading ended? The last verse says this, Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. It doesn't make temptation lesser. It doesn't make this world easier. It doesn't make the devil smaller. This entire scenario of Jesus being our representative and overcoming it all for us. It actually highlights the reality of such, but what do we have? Since we have this great high priest, what can you do to every temptation, no matter what it is? So so what is it for you then? Which one of them, commandment four through ten? Is it some type of addiction? Is it some type of manipulation? Is it some type of power struggle? Is it some type of fraction in a relationship that you caused according to your own sin? Is it, is it some type of, of desire for the wrong things when it comes to the opposite sex or even the same sex? Is, is it something that God has not designed, whatever that is, and you want that thing that he has not designed because you're, you're moving away from his design for your life, which is always better? Whatever it is, you get to now approach God's throne of grace with confidence because the greatest, the ultimate high priest went in and not with a sacrifice from something or someone else, but the sacrifice that is himself. And he offered it up so that you now have mercy and grace in every time of need, no matter what that thing, that temptation is. Your guilt is paid for. He doesn't remember your sinful record. That's what the great high priest offers himself, Jesus, the ultimate. So when you think that you're in the depths, when you find yourself helpless, maybe even hopeless, battling against temptation, and yes, your Savior calls you to do that, you are not alone. Not only do you have a Savior who empathizes with you and is right there with you, he stands before you as the representative who crushed it all so that you would have grace so that you would have his mercy no matter, no matter how great or small your need. God grant that to us all. Amen.